until that point, this was probably the worst pain I had ever experienced, and I just had to lie there and endure it. And the doctor told me afterward that I tolerated much more than what was typical in those circumstances, but uh, when it was all said and done, they were unsuccessful at turning the baby, and now I had to abandon the plans I had for a natural birth and prepare myself for a C-section. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. I'm Dr. Nicole Deffenbaugh, Clinical Communications Specialist, and I'm glad to be joined today with Jackie Curlin. She is a stay-at-home mom and is going to be talking about birthing and delivery options. So welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, we've had other moms on the show and other women talk about um, birthing and delivering different um, capacities. Um, but yours is a unique story um, in that you've had three children, so three births, and all different. Correct. Uh, and so I wondered if you could tell the listeners these three different types of birthing experiences you've had. I didn't even know there were three different options. I was thinking there were two, and there's probably even more than three. There are, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Well, like I said, there, well, there's no one way to have a baby, you know, if it's if it's the right way for you, then that's the right way. So these are just my uh, personal experiences. Um, my first child uh, was a, a vaginal birth. Um, my goal from the beginning was to pursue having a natural birth with uh, no or as few of interventions as possible. Um, so in order to prepare for that, uh, my husband and I took a, uh, a birthing class. Uh, it was called Mindful Childbirth, specifically geared towards having a natural birth, um, which was wonderful. We got a lot of information. Um, and for me, that really helped me feel confident that I knew what to expect to some degree and that I'd be able to accomplish my goal. Um, and did I, your goal happen? It did. Okay. So you didn't, you had none I, or very little in terms of medical intervention? No, no interventions. I had no drugs, no pain uh, medications and um, yeah, totally natural. So um, I, I attended, it, it was my regular office that I went for uh, uh, gynecological exams and things, but it was a midwifery practice. Oh. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have a full-time doula or anything like that. Um, but they were very um, focused on on helping mothers have uh, or, or go down a natural path. Um, it was a large practice, um, but and I, di I did see a different midwife each time I would go in for my regular exams and checkups. Um, I was very healthy for the pregnancy. The baby was very healthy. Um, I did have an an extreme weight gain. I gained 62 pounds. That's a lot. Um, and not from, you know, stuffing my face or anything like that. It was kind of an anomaly. Um, the doctors suggested, you know, taking it easy, that I should slow down on kind of with eating and things. And, and I sort of indicated, well, I think something else is going on. And in hindsight, I, I was still working then at an office job and sitting. And I, I you know, my activity level really wasn't at its peak and it certainly declined throughout the pregnancy as I got bigger. Um, but in terms of the checkups, my blood pressure was normal. The funny thing was they were monitoring me for contractions and they were showing up on the, on the monitor that I was having contractions, but I wasn't feeling them. Mm -hmm. And I said to the nurse, is this 
pre-labor? Am I, you know, am I close? And she goes, oh no, these things could take, you could go another week or so. And the next day I woke up in labor. So I woke up around early, very early, like 4.35 in the morning and I detected just little contractions. And my husband, I told him, why don't you go to work? You know, this could be forever. And he did. Um, the contractions started to pick up around lunchtime and he came home. We were admitted to the hospital around 5, 5.30. And I had, I, I went in and was checked in at nine and a half centimeters already. Okay. So I had done the majority of my laboring at home. Um, we went to the birthing suite and he was born uh, like, like 30, 45 minutes later. Okay. And everything went very smoothly. Um, and you thought, wow, this is what birth is, yeah, I said it, birth is like. It can't get any, yeah, it can't get any easier, yeah, easier than this, right? Um, I had, I had back labor with this, uh, with this uh, delivery, which is very painful. Um, at the time, having had nothing to compare it to, I just thought, okay, well, this sets the baseline. Like, now I know I can tolerate this pain. This is what it feels like. Um, you know, just kind of banked that, that feeling, um, to know for future pregnancies. Um, in terms of when it was time to push all of that pain, I was sort of able to just, I, I used what I had learned from class about kind of going to a zone or meditating or using the pain to accomplish, you know, the end result, which was, Hey, I get to hold a baby after all this. Um, and when I was able to push and do something with that pain, it almost didn't, I don't want to say it didn't hurt anymore, but it was, it was much different. Mm -hmm. um, I was making progress, and I knew that that was a good thing. Um, one of the things with uh, having delivered with a midwifery practice was I had a private birthing suite. Mm -hmm. It was me, the midwife, an assisting nurse, and my husband, and it was, that was it. And it was mm -hmm. very quiet, and I think... Um, the most ideal way, uh, looking back, my favorite way that uh, I brought a child into the world. Um, so your first time went well, yeah, without a hitch, exactly how you had envisioned it. Right. Baby was out 45 minutes after you mm -hmm. got there and were checked in. And then what happened with baby number two? Uh, with baby number two, again, a normal pregnancy, everything was going smoothly for the most part. I went in for a regular appointment. My due date was, I think, October 17th. And I went in for a regular appointment on September the 26th. So it was like, you know, a little over two weeks before the baby was due. And they found out that she was breached she was not head down. So we did an ultrasound and she was uh, what's considered frank breech where the baby is butt down with the legs up at the face, up at the head. So kind of like a, a pyramid. Um, and they said, we can try if you're willing to turn her and it's called aversion maneuver. And I said, Again, my goal was to have as natural of a birth as possible. So in my mind, weighing out the possibilities, it was worth it for me to try this. And they said, you know, some women 
opt for an epidural during this procedure. Would you like that? And I said, no, I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, have any, any drugs or medications if, if I don't need to. So, so we didn't. I went in for the procedure on October the 2nd. We went in. Basically what happens, I had two doctors. One was pushing down on my stomach while the other was sort of pulling up simultaneously on the other side to kind of coax the baby to flip. Um, there, were, there were at least five nurses that I can remember. Um, it's uh, where I was was known for being a teaching hospital. So they had said, well, we don't see a lot of people attempt this version. So they wanted people to, to see it, but also looking back, like, um, there's a couple signs there. About, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> looking back, I think that they were also there in case of an emergency because yeah. it is, it's not certainly not a risk-free uh, procedure. Um, so I had two nurses holding my legs. I had a nurse up at my head kind of massaging. I had one nurse on my arm holding my arm down and it's it's good that they were there. Um, basically it is a uh, very uh, it's an extreme pressure on your stomach and you need to resist every urge to tighten up you know your muscles. You just have to relax as much as possible, breathe through the pain. Um, and on one hand I was disappointed because all that pain was sort of nothing right like oh we did this and it wasn't even successful but then I sort of realized that all of these circumstances were they were beyond my control and and we did everything we could you know to again try to achieve that goal um, of, of a natural birth um, so it wasn't natural no so what, what happened next so uh, again that version was on the 2nd of October I naturally went into labor on October the 4th the morning of October the 4th and, um, you know, started to get things ready, but it was pretty clear that like the contractions were picking up quickly, a lot more quickly than my, my first uh, labor. Um, so we got to the hospital and I still had to be prepped and everything for surgery. Um, the one pro that I was really, really thankful for was the doctor that did the version uh, happened to be the doctor on call at the hospital mm -hmm. that day. That would that would do the C-section. So we we knew I, I was already scheduled for a C-section. We knew she was breached, which was great, um, and and there was a, a you know preparedness. Right. As um, opposed to emergency C-section because something exactly. Something and happened. and this doctor that knew my history and was very familiar with me from just a day you know two days before. Uh, so I had a um, a spinal as opposed to an epidural. A spinal is just an injection of uh, the pain, uh, the anesthesia and, and uh, pain meds into the spine, whereas the epidural, it's a, a catheter that, that stays in place. Um, uh, and um, she was, let's see, we had to wait. We had to wait a while. The, the NICU uh, always has to be on hand for any C-section, and it took a while for them to actually arrive in the OR. So we were sort of just like, laying there waiting, you know, for the NICU. And then once they came, it was like, whoop, baby's out. Mm. Um, I've heard other people say that it happens really, really fast. Yeah, it's just like, okay, there's your baby. So the recovery is very different mm -hmm. with a C-section. And even in the hospital, you know, you're, you're in bed for several hours after the fact um, and unable to get up and move around. You know, it took, took a while to have uh, 
to get a shower, you know, simple things like that. Um, this was also at a different facility than, oh. than the midwifery. This was at a regular um, obstetrics practice uh, that was associated with a hospital. Um, so things were a little bit, a little bit different there. Um, but all in all, uh, I had, I had a speedy recovery, as speedy of a recovery as you can after a surgery like that. Um, there was one nurse that when, uh, I was ready to get up and walk around for the first time and I just, I was on the, sitting on the edge of the bed and I said to her, you know, how much should I baby this? Meaning me, my body. Um, after the surgery and she just said you you want to do what you can without over exerting yourself but the sooner you're up and about the better and I'm so thankful she said that because I really tried to be conscious of moving and bending as normally as I could and I think that really helped in in the recovery process yeah so the first it sounds like the first two were planned in the way that they happened right so what happened with baby number three number three is a very different story. Um, so going into this now, I had a natural birth and the cesarean. So I, again, I wanted to pursue having a natural birth again, but this is categorized as what's called a VBAC, which stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, and there are a lot of, a lot more risks associated, um, with, with pursuing this kind of a birth. Um, the number one being uterine rupture, and that sounds really scary. I mean, uh, that's basically the scar that you have from the cesarean could potentially just open up mm. um, during labor. Um, we can get into the statistics later on if you'd like, but that, that was a concern. So I wanted to do my research even more. I mean, it was almost like starting from scratch um, with this pregnancy. Um, so I, I did, and I, I felt really confident with the research that I did um, using reputable sources, um, the American Congress of Gynecology and uh, Obstetrics and um, the American Pregnancy Association, things like that. Not just like mommy message boards and you know. Um, so I felt ready. My husband was ready. In our heads, we, we were just preparing for anything that could go wrong. We just thought, and I just thought, Okay, again, I'll, I'll start with contractions and they'll gradually get closer and we'll know it's time to go to the hospital and we'll, we'll be ready. So the morning that I went into labor, it was sort of a sudden onset of mm -hmm. contractions. There was no lead up to it. It was just like, ooh, that was intense. And instead of having contractions at regular intervals or a series of contractions, I was having one continuous unending contraction and it didn't stop there was no relief and I thought like what is this you know and it became very clear this was not a typical labor and I didn't have a lot of time I just kept thinking that over and over we need to go we need to you know take care of this um, it, it could have been a very real possibility that we would have had to pull over on the way to the hospital um, thankfully you know, with some skilled driving later, we got there at the hospital. Um, he was born probably 20 minutes after I was checked in. Um, again, the, the continuous contraction, that, that all, nothing changed there. 
if I had a reprieve, it was very brief, just enough time to kind of catch my breath before the next one started. And I was just in my own place. My, my husband said he tried to ask me questions on the way to the hospital and I didn't hear him. I was just in the zone. Um, so when we were in the delivering room, very different situation from my first delivery, there were probably 10 people not including me and my husband in this room. Mm -hmm. Doctors, nurses, nurses demonstrating how to um, give an IV to another nurse. There was a student nurse observing just uh, for, for, I guess, their class. Were you in three different hospitals for all three? No, oh, okay. no, I was, uh, yeah, it was just, just the circumstance two. of this one. Okay. Yeah, the second and third one were the same oh, hospital. Okay. Um, it was just the circumstance of being in an OR versus mm -hmm. a regular delivery room. And I felt very overwhelmed, but because I was so engaged with coping, you know, and focusing on the delivery, I couldn't verbalize like, hey, what are you doing? Or what, you know, um, the doctor at one point told me to stop pushing. And I said, I'm not pushing. And it was the truth. This baby was just coming, mm. you know? And I remember uh, back to the, the childbirth class, I remember our teacher saying, you know, you might get scared about having a baby, but it doesn't matter because this baby, no matter what, you, you could try to hold this baby in and it does, your body is just capable of delivering on its own. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Um, you know, not to be like super graphic, but he basically just shot out and, you know. Like you see in, t in movies. And yeah, like he, where the baby just sort of like he rode the luge and just yeah. like shot out. And uh, uh, it was very, very fast. Um, he was healthy. Um, I was healthy. When you have fast deliveries like that, um, you know, there's, uh, the babies can experience, they can have more um, fluid in their, in their lungs and things because usually if you have a progressing labor, a slower labor, um, the fluids and things get squeezed out because mm -hmm. they're in the birth canal longer and things like that. And so, um, you know, you have to be careful with aspirate, like aspiration risks afterwards and things. Um, so he came and, you know, before you know it, like all this worry and over preparation for, for the risks of a VBAC, we never, you know, this was never on the radar of having such a, uh, an express, you know, mm -hmm. delivery. And some people might think, wow, that sounds so great to have a short, but, um, it was very difficult to, to cope with the intense pain. Um, one of the nurses afterwards was saying to another nurse, she goes, she was looking at my folder and she said, wait, this was a VBAC. And the other nurse just kind of stood there frozen. <laughs> and I leaned over from the bed and I said, yes, it was. Like, it, it was a little disconcerting that, you know, it, it, was, it was an urgent situation, but it wasn't an emergency, which I'm thankful for because it, this thing could have gone south real quick. Um, well, and I'm also thinking, you know, how many people that I, I've heard that have C-sections never go back to vaginal mm -hmm. births. And so I wonder if they were also surprised um, by how fast it went and the fact that you were even doing this. Yeah, I think um, you're right. It used to always be once a cesarean, always a cesarean. Um, the hospital I went to was supportive of, 
of having a VBAC. They call it TOLAC, by the way, which is, stands for Trial of Labor After Cesarean. So they let you try it to see how you know how you do, or if you run into any roadblocks. And Makes then it sound like they don't expect you to well, make it. Well, yes, and that's We're that's true. A, a lot of hospitals um, in the United States don't allow uh, VBAC deliveries just because of the oh, risk involved. So uh, huh. I think it's like 60 to 80% of women are successful in having the VBAC. You know, you get that bad, the VBAC badge if you're, it's no longer a trial. When you're talking about the um, VBAC, you know, I, I can't help, and I haven't been through this, but I can't help but wonder what the conversation was with the clinician because I imagine that they probably were encouraging you to have another C-section because you're the first person I've met who has actually tried to have a vaginal delivery after a C-section. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, again, they, they call it TOLAC, this trial, the TOLAC. So in doing my research, it was sort of like, just just be mindful of, of uh, hospitals that use the term TOLAC because automatically it's like, well, we'll let you try. But, you know, I think they're trying to seem encouraging, but it might be more likely that they'll want to encourage a C-section. No one said, are you sure? Like no one, no one approached me like that. Oh. Um, but when it was getting near the end, like for my 34 week check, mm. um, they had said, okay, we're gonna talk about your birthing options when you come in. And I was like, so ready for a fight to say, they, somebody had said something like, oh, well, if you, if you go beyond, like if you get to 38 weeks, then we'll talk about induction. And it was just something I was not—I was not having that conversation, um, because oftentimes, usually, a, a natural pregnancy will go 40 to 42 weeks, um, and so it's the question of is it riskier for the baby to stay inside than come out? But I was so ready for that like 34-week appointment and ready to fight, and I had this amazing doctor, mm -hmm. and uh, he was—he was wonderful. He had like five children himself, and um, he was like. You know, you're obviously you obviously have done your homework, um, and if this is the way you go, then you then you do that. And if you need to, I mean, he didn't really say it in this way, but like you know, hey, if you need to burn bridges, burn some bridges to get to accomplish what you need to do. And I was so happy to hear that because up until that point, no one definitively definitively said, okay, like here are the steps you need to take in order to achieve this VBAC, or or vice versa. So. I felt like he was on my side and he was the first person that entire pregnancy, you know, to really, to support, to support it. To yes. To that, verbally right. support that decision. So, so I think, I think there's this silent opinion, mm -hmm. you know, they, they probably can't, can't say it out loud. Like we'd rather you have a C-section, right. but yeah, I think it exists. Yeah. If you do your homework and you, I mean, Google it, a VBAC is safer than a repeat cesarean. Um, I mean, in terms of, from from the hospital standpoint, they're looking at things in dollars as well. I mean, it's it's a it's a sad and kind of a cold thing to consider, but they are. So when you when you're saying, hey, I want to have a labor and and deliver naturally, um, that could be one hour. It could be. 24 hours. It could be longer than that. Hours, yeah. yeah. And that's common. That happens. So when, when you look at it compared to a C-section, a C-section is so much cheaper in the eyes of the hospital than you laboring, taking up a bed, taking up a room for mm -hmm. days, hours, you know, you have care people assigned to you 
that whole time. You're eating meals. Right. It's scheduled. You know that the doctor that you want will be there at that mm-hmm. time if it's scheduled. Yeah. Advance. So you're using those yeah, hospital resources that whole time. Yeah. And so it, they're more inclined to encourage a C-section. The, I mean, the question that I have after all of this is, you know, um, a lot, well, I should, I should back up and say we're talking about choice and, and not choice, mm-hmm. right? When a woman has a choice of what type of delivery, you know, my first question is, what would you choose again? I would absolutely choose natural over a cesarean. Um, the recovery alone um, is, is huge, such a difference. Especially with my, you know, it was my second pregnancy that I had this cesarean. A lot of times women have that with their first because of um, whether or not they, you know, they, they didn't progress fast enough or mm-hmm. something like that. And then they end up with this, with this C-section. Um, I, I met a lot of, um, with, the, with the VBAC, there are certain criteria that let you be eligible in the first place to try. Mm. Um, so we had the cesarean because of a breech baby that's something. I had a low transverse scar like a, that goes horizontally low across my, uh, my abdomen. Um, that's, that's good. If you have a vertical scar for any reason, it's a no-go. It's, mm. um, I shouldn't say it's a no-go, but the risk for rupture is much greater with a vertical scar. So they usually don't let you try um, things like that. Mm. So, so I was able to do it. But yes, to choose, to choose the natural way I think was and natural, by natural, I mean vaginal, yeah. uh, you know, whether or not you, you uh, pursue pain meds and things like that is, is something else. But um, And then yeah. thinking about the difference between the first one where you had a midwife mm-hmm. versus the other ones where you were, you know, in a hospital, like a traditional setting. What are your, what's your take on those two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the midwifery. I, I don't know if I would necessarily um, try to seek out a doula specifically for you know, for my own personal care, but, um, just the, the gentleness, I guess I would call it of how the delivery occurred. Um, you know, they, if I, if I would have wanted to be in a different position, if I would have wanted to try standing up, things like they're very supportive of anything that makes the mother comfortable and able to, to deliver more easily. Whereas at at the other, you know, with just an obstetrics practice, um, sometimes, yeah, that you know, you can have a birth plan that says I want to labor while I'm standing and all this, um, and that that might not necessarily. I don't want to say it's not allowed, but I think the easier thing to do is just to throw you in a bed and monitor you, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's easier for them to do their jobs. Yeah. Um, well, and there's risks, and so I can I can see from the clinician side, you know, there are different risks, and so mm. with your blood pressure, you know, thinking of eclampsia, and there's certain risks involved in that, and when you turn over, there are certain risks involved in that, and so thinking about it may be easier and may be perceived as being less risky, and at the same time, you know, it's important to also fulfill the needs of the mom if she's uncomfortable or needs to change position. Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds like, based on what you said, is um, really finding the team and the the person to work with you and also recognizing that's not also possible either right, right? you never know who you're going to get sometimes right on calls yeah just to have a, a yeah. dialogue yeah. you know i think a lot of times you go in as a I mean, for me and i don't know why this is exactly but i would go into these appointments feeling um like a subordinate if that makes sense in that relationship yeah. and i don't know why 
where it should really be, you know, your contemporaries or colleagues, however you want to look at it, and that there's a dialogue saying, hey, here's what I want to do. Does this make sense to you? Or what am I not, what am I missing? What else should I consider in, in making these choices? Yeah. Um, and I think in, in having that dialogue, it'll become clear really quickly if that, that care team is a good match. Yeah. And I think we're, we've, we've naturally progressed into the um, childbirth, natural childbirth. We've naturally progressed <laughs> into the section about advice that you would offer others. And so the dialogue part seems to be important and trying to identify a team that you can work with. What other um, suggestions would you offer regarding these three different types of birthing? No matter what, how, how you see your deliveries and births happening, it's so important to do the research on your own. Um, those appointments that you go into are so brief, you might get 10 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they have a lot of people to see. Um, do the research, have your goal, um, find out what hurdles can come up to help that might make, you know, prevent you from reaching that goal. What are those hurdles? What are my choices to get over those hurdles? and then decide what makes the most sense um, in terms of your to-do list. And make sure your partner knows, your support person, um, because, you know, and, and, and not just say, hey, uh, I don't want any pain medicine. Say, you know, hey, I prefer, you know, a drip of something over having uh, an epidural. Be sp as specific as you can, because in the heat of that moment, you're not, I mean, I couldn't communicate that out loud to somebody you know you need somebody there to advocate for you so it's important prior to be asking these questions about what are the hurdles what are the chances and and um we were talking before the podcast started about the u.s um, mortality rate for for women and it's still pretty high mm -hmm. um, and so thinking about the questions that you need to ask about all the different situations yeah i mean take the the VBAC, for example uh, and I think this is coming from the ACOG site, but uh, 60 to 80% of women are successful at having their feedback. And that doesn't sound like you might hear 60%, well, like what's going on there? But then when you dive deeper into it, um, how many of those deliveries were augmented in some way? Were, in other words, were they induced? Um, if there's an induction, the likelihood of being successful drops. Um, because methods of induction um, put a lot of pressure on you, on the uterus, on the fetus. I'm thinking of Pitocin just off the top of my head. Um, Pitocin causes very strong contractions of the uterus. If that's the case, um, it, it happens in a not natural, it disrupts the natural physiology uh, of labor. So all of a sudden your body is hit with this, this wave um, that can weaken the, you know, weaken the uterus and you have a problem and then you're in an emergency C-section situation. Um, so what does the Pitocin do? What are some side effects I could expect? Like these are questions that you want Right. To what does it do? What, what are the side effects to you and the baby? Some of these things can cause fetal distress. Mm. Um, what is fetal distress? Like a normal fetal heart rate is something like between 110 and 160 beats per minute. So if you know that in your head and you're in laboring and the doctor says, oh, the baby's heartbeat spiked to 150. You say, well, that's still within the natural ranges. Can we kind of have be watchfully waiting mm -hmm. to see if the situation improves? You know, take that beat 
with your care provider and say, do we really need to rush to these other um, methods of intervention? Or can we, can we watchfully wait and see if I, things can continue, you know, naturally? Yeah, and I can imagine that would be scary and tricky too of I want to do something natural and I don't want to put myself or my baby at risk mm-hmm. and trying to find that line. But those those would be conversations mm-hmm. to have beforehand too of at what point do you, you're asking your clinician, at what point do we move on to the next step and right. what are you looking for that if something happens. And the other thing that you mentioned though that I want to get to quickly is um, your support system. And um, thinking about how important it is to have somebody with you. And so you had a partner throughout this process. Right. My husband uh, was my support person. Um, he, that's, it's sort of the nature of our relationship that we just very openly talk about things. So I'll say, hey, I was researching this. I think that's the way to go. What do you think? Does that make sense? Um, and, and he, you know, was in a, it was important for me to have him in, be in agreement with my choices as well, even though he wasn't the one experiencing it. Um, well, he was your advocate, right? When you couldn't make decisions, or well, not that you were incapacitated to make decisions, but you, like you said, you were... You're not mentally right. yeah, in the <laughs> right totally headspace to, yeah. to, to do that. Right. So um, it's, it's so important. Um, and also to give the confidence and just just knowing there's a presence there I think that's that's familiar and on your side you know let's face it delivery rooms and hospitals can be just very sterile and cold and um, just to have that kind of peace of home with you makes all the difference in the world so what advice would you have for the people in the room with you. I, I hear women talk about, oh, I'm going to have my partner. My mom wants to be there. And other people say, I don't want anybody there. And so what are some things to consider in terms of making the choice about who to have in the room? And recognizing you can't always, I mean, you can actually say something regarding how many clinicians are in the room too. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a choice as well. But I'm talking about like loved ones. Yeah. Um, I think birth is, is one of those things everybody wants to be a part of, um, that it's an amazing experience. Um, it's not an Instagram worthy experience, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you need a lot of filters to make the, it look the, tw- the tweet, yeah, the Twitter photo. The tweet. I mean, I remember when, with my first pregnancy, it was so quiet in the room with just my, you know, my husband and me and our cell phones were on silent and you just heard because everyone knew we were at the hospital and we were going to have this baby. And it was distracting. So, I mean, when you're choosing the people to be there, I think, I, I mean, I'm saying this with love, like have a reason for them to be there, not just to hold the camera or to, you know what I mean? Have it, uh, have them be helping you accomplish, you know what I mean? Helping you progress in some way. If, if a person, if you have a best friend that gives great advice and just the sound of their voice always makes you feel better, then hey, that might be the person that's rubbing your shoulders and saying like, you're doing great, like keep it up and that kind of thing. Um, so so wrapping up here, because we're almost out of time, um, you had mentioned a number of different sites and organizations and wondered if you have any other resources that you might provide our listeners. Because um, you, you mentioned a couple and again, not just mm, blogs or... No, I mean, and that can be blogs and, and mommy you know, message boards, it's good to help you know that 
you're not alone in what you're going right, through, that right. people have similar experiences. But in terms of getting real research, um, I always went to the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American uh, uh, Pregnancy Association. Um, I found a great, when I was researching the VBACs, uh, uh, risks and things, um, I came across an individual study. Her name uh, was Hensi Goer, uh, first name H-E-N-C-I, last name G-O-E-R, entitled Optimal Care in Childbirth, the Case for a Physiologic Approach. And that was excellent. She lays it all out. You know, there's certainly clinical things in there, but lays it out in a way that you can understand it and make sense. Um, and that was a huge help for me. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. And for our listeners, we only have a couple more podcasts left. So we are glad that you're able to join us today, and we hope you come back next week. Again, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and NicoleDeffenbaugh.com slash blog. So thank you again for joining us. We look forward to having you again next week. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.